Broadcasting live, this is KMA Talk Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of fine cigars. I like to smoke them like the Winston Churchill. Good morning to all our loyal listeners, libertarians, and lovers of the leaf. I'm your host, Honest Abe, and this is KMA episode number 412, and I'm here with my trusty gang, my uh, Southpaw from South Philly, a.k.a. the GOAT, my man, Alex Tavella. Good morning, good morning, How's everyone. How's the GOAT this morning? What's that? How's the GOAT this morning? The GOAT is good. The GOAT is good. We had a, a late night here. But uh, here we are, you know, fresh and ready to go. I mean, yeah. half the time we were kind of bullshitting the last hour where we could have left and went home, but that's usually what happens. Actually, we came up with our best ideas. Bullshit. We did. We usually do it like between that's like 1030 and 1130 at night is, is, is when stuff gets good. Yeah. And sitting in for the uh, producer, the best that we could afford this week is no other than our man, the Coop. What's up, Will? What's up, Abe? What's up, uh, Alex? Thanks hey, for having cool. me today. I guess oh, so. Man. We fit, so I, we were talking before the show. Paul was either at Disney or something wedding related, and I guess <laughs> it was wedding related. Yeah. It's worse. Very worse. <laughs> Very worse. Yes. I, 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 like Paul's one of these weird guys that does weird things, like like stuff that you only see on TV. Like you ever see like people do TV, like and then you're like nobody ever really does that. Paul's that guy, yeah. right? So. Paul's at a bachelor party. Slash. What's the slash? Bachelorette. Bachelorette. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. It is okay, a Paul's at a bachelorette party. He's a at a bachelor slash bachelorette party. Whatever. It's like a it's okay, like so listen, a combined. Let me, just, let me just be clear on this. One that started like at nine a.m. Oh yeah, yeah. Who, who starts? A bachelor bachelorette party. You know, if you're a friend of mine and you send me an invitation for a 9 a.m. bachelor party, like you, you like become a not friend immediately. You'll be an acquaintance. I'll be nice. I'll wait to you. But like the socialization aspect of our relationship is done. Well, well, apparently the big feature of the bachelorette party is they're going kayaking. Well, that's the morning start. The morning start is kayaking. Yeah. Not like, you know. I don't drink, but I mean, bachelor, I'm a, you know, it's like, you know, bottomless, bottomless something somewhere is normally how I would assume you start a bachelor or a bachelorette party. I mean, seriously, can you imagine getting an invitation for, in your lifetime for a bachelor party and it says, we're going to start kayaking at nine in the morning? Right. Rip. Rip, right? I, I feel that, bad. That, I, I, like I don't know out. who's invited, but if there's like any like single guys, like this is like devastating. Like this is this is what I'm doing at a bachelor party where you know there's no debauchery, nothing. Nothing. We're going kayaking. Well, the worst thing you could do as a groom is ever believe the bachelor party's for you. Right. It's right. Absolutely. the most selfish move you make as a groom because. This is for your other 10 guys who mostly either have been married and miserable or are single and on the prowl, and it's their night to celebrate you, but you plan it for them. Right, you know? absolutely. 
that's what a real bachelor party is supposed to be about. So I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah, to say the least. Good old Paul. Paul Good man. old Paul. Between, Never fans. Between daddy daycare and bachelorette party, I mean, Stephanie's got him doing some weird Disney, crap all the Disney, time. Disney. Well, he's into the Disney. He is really into the Disney. Yeah, I mean, they're both like Disney freaks, which is a little bit scary to me, to be honest with you. I wasn't to Disney till I was, I should say, I was 14. I went to Disneyland, but I wasn't to Disney World till I was 21. Yeah, Disney's like one of those places which I think is cool and everybody should take their kids and visit, but then there's that, that, that cult aura. The cu- right, right. That, it's, that cultish aura around Disney. I think Paul's like totally a member of that cult. Right, right. You know, dress yeah. up. What are we going to wear? What's our costume this trip? Yeah, yeah. Mouse ears, the whole thing. Right, 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 right. Not for kids, for him, mouse ears. Right. My kids were never, my, my kids were really not into Disney when we went to Florida. Uh, they were more into always going to Universal. That was always the place they wanted to go to. Well, we, we did we did the Disney thing with the girls. Uh, I can't remember how. Well, it's about got to be five years ago now because Asher was still in a stroller. So um, it's going to be about five years ago. And Ash was really kind of too young, but the girls kind of remember. But now the girls are old enough that it's like a universal studio now. Right, right. Time. And I don't really don't think my son really cares to go to Disney. My, yeah, my, my boys didn't feel like they were missing anything. Eh? Yeah, Disney's a very princessy yeah. kind of castle dreamland thing. And I, I don't think my son really relates to Mickey Mouse or, or Disney. Yeah, I mean, it's just not. I don't think it's as. Uh, I don't think it's as prevalent to young kids. <clears throat> There's so much more. There's so many more characters and things. And you, you got a boy and only boys. It, it's. I think it's more prevalent to young girls. Girls, right? Because yeah. they have that whole Cinderella princess thing okay. going on, and every little girl wants to be a princess. I just. Uh, yeah, I don't think it relates to young young guys really. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't. Like when we were younger, it was different because Mickey Mouse, Goofy, Donald Duck were a lot more prevalent as characters. So the, it, I get it if you want to kind of go see them in person, but right. those characters aren't as popular today. Right. At least among boys, for sure. Definitely not for boys, but I don't think anywhere. I don't think Disney really promotes those characters to the level they used to because they have so much else going on. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they try to get them on the Lion Kings and stuff like that. And right, cars, right. Cars yeah. and, you know, Toy all Story, that and, Yeah. What you smoking, Coop? Oh, I'm smoking the New Wave, Connecticut. Um, wow. This is, this Classic. Is, uh, from, yeah, this is from our guest. This was in the um, Party in a Box. And this is yep. a great cigar in the Party in a Box to get. This is, this is my favorite size of the New Wave. Is that 7 by 49 The goat chose our cigars today. Of course, he went. He went to the top of the mountain here. I'm out. I'm I'm, right. I'm out. I'm out right now. At him. Yeah. Well, it's it, that is top of the mountain. They are. Uh, yeah, yeah. This year, they are definitely top of the mountain. Yeah. As I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. Yep. So, during the show last week, actually kind of like blew up while we were doing the show was the big uh, Saka saga, I guess. Saka saga, yes. Saka syndrome. I love the shirts and stuff we got. Yeah, they were made quick too. Shout out to Matt Tobacco. I mean, he got them done. Good job. Good job by Matt, yeah. Yeah, pretty quickly. 
I think Abe has one there. Yeah. Is that the soccer? Yeah, that's it. This, this is great. Yeah, well done. Done quickly. Soccer syndrome. Hashtag soccer syndrome. How great is that? Yeah, that, that turned into a whirlwind. Uh, Holy quick. cow. I, I couldn't believe it because I, I almost drove off the road when I heard Sokka's reply after the show last week. Did you, uh, did you at any point think it was serious? No, I never thought this was serious. I, like I told you, I had my conspiracy theories that you guys were using this to self-promote each other. But I also know you guys have a long relationship, and it wasn't serious. So I never thought that. Um, but it was interesting and fun to kind of follow. It was. Listen, full transparency. There was a moment, me and Abe were in the office, and we were like, is he serious? I don't know. Is he just off his rails? And like, there was a moment where we didn't know if he was just completely off his rails. No, I think I think he started out serious. Because were you there when I called him, or was that Briggs? I was there, and then his phone died, and then he, and we thought his we didn't phone know if he died hung, or he hung up. up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't I think know. He hung up on us. Right. Because we called him, we're like, are, are you serious here? Yeah, uh, you because know, you, you know I didn't know it was one of his like you know WWE moves, right, you know, or something, but. I think he started out serious, and then he kind of mellowed out and ran with it. But, you know, we were friends for so long, you know. Kind of get, at that point, we kind of get away with saying anything once. Right. I knew the coin wasn't in that. I didn't know what you guys had sent him. I said, there's no way he sent him a coin. We sent him exactly what he asked for. Uh, Abe, yes, an, Abe, an Abe coin. Yes, we did. He asked for an Abe coin. <laughs> he got, he got an Abe coin. And that's what he got. Yeah. By the way, those coins, I got mine yesterday. Thank you, guys. Which I never asked for one, by the way. So you guys, I appreciate. Totally it. worthy, overdue, Coop. No, totally worthy. Things, never mentioned like, it I, once. The weighty, they're, they're like these are legitimate. I mean, these are nice weighty coins. These are not cheap coins, guys. Yeah, they got, some meat, they got, they some, got meat some meat on them. They got some meat on. Great job and, on them. As they should have some meat on them. Right, right. They're uh, scaled. But in, in in the words of Michael Caldwell, I just love the hot dogs. The hot dogs are where they're at. <laughs> but in the words of Michael Caldwell, it's a cigar action figure. Yes. Well, you know, I was joking around. It looked like a, a remember those shrinky things? You know, on a picture, sometimes the you know with the how it's lit, it looked like maybe. I thought, is this like an Abe shrinky dink? But it's definitely no Abe shrinky dink. I can tell you that because this thing is like, wow, this is this weighs more than any challenge coin I've ever had. Yeah, it came out really, really nice. Yeah, they did. What, 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 I, what I love is everybody keeps calling it a pin. They think it's like a pin. Yeah. Right. I don't think coin does it justice either, though. Yeah, I guess I on my I guess on my body it does look like a pen. It does, right? It does. I mean, it, it's... <laughs> well, you see but now, Kevin, Kevin Shahan has constructed it so it's like swinging on his dog tags. Yeah, it's uh, kind of cool. Yes, cigar well, action figure. Yeah, but all all was well. As, uh, I guess you guys had that. I couldn't believe the number of viewers you guys had for those videos. Like, that's... drop my... it. Drop is where it's at. People, I mean, when drama is. when it's soccer, people tune in. I mean, it's, I mean, a couple big fat guys doing a live video stream, and people want to people want to see yeah. what's going on. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's pretty funny. But um, also, big thanks to all. We did a video yesterday. I can't even remember all of the names. Uh, we had um, James Winners, James the, the Pausers, Pausers. Um, um, James Cartmill, the other Alas the other Alaskan who sent us literally nine pounds of of salmon, fresh salmon is yes, delicious. fresh. Yeah, um, it, it was a good day of gifts. And Matt Tobacco, and who and sent Matt, you? And who sent you? And Matt and Nicole Tobacco, and who sent you the little baby goat? That was Mike B J Junior. 
Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Interesting week. Interesting week. Interesting guests. We got a lot going on, KMA. Um, we probably should roll right into it. It's a lot to talk about. Yep. For once, the guy of the year. Absolutely. Are we ready to meet our maker? Let's bring in our meeting maker. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. It's time to meet your maker. Our next guest honestly needs no introduction. He is a legendary cigar maker and one of the greatest probably stories in the cigar industry, starting from a little cigar factory here in Little Havana to not only selling his company, but starting one all over again and many accolades in his new company. Most recently, Cigar Aficionado's top cigar of the year. Everyone, let's welcome Ernesto Perez Carrillo, VP. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, guys. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be on on, on your show, uh, and uh, I, I, I was enjoying your your uh, how do you say your uh, banter. Free... Our banter. <laughs> Our banter back and forth. Yeah, it's good to see you, Coop. You good too, to Ernesto. You Great yes, to see for you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you were you were you were on not too long ago, Ernesto, and you know, yes. obviously, between then and now, you've received the accolade of top. Best Cigar of the Year, number one, mm-hmm. from Cigar Aficionado. And we just kind of want to do a little deep dive on how that's affected you, your company today. And I I, I can't, I don't know, maybe Coop could help when, when Cigar Aficionado ever started the top 25. I don't think it was from the beginning. Was it from the first year? No, actually it was 2004. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah when they saw. Was this an accolade you ever received before, when, before um, when you were, La Gloria before we sold it. Uh, with La Gloria, we we you know we got into the top ten a few times. Uh, we got uh, with Artesanos in Miami. Uh, we used to make another one, uh, uh, Reservas Figurados, uh, and I think there was one other. But with the new company, we've been on the top ten. I think this is our. Let me see, three, four about five times in the uh, 10 years we've been, you know, we've been on, we've been, you know, with a new company. Wow. Has it been so it has already? To, Holy cow. Yeah. It's going fast. It is. It is going fast. Uh, it, you know, it's incredible because <clears throat> this way I was away for a year because of, of uh, you know, the, the situation with the COVID and, and I'm, I came back uh, this week, as a matter of fact, and it, it seems like I never left, you know, everything was, you know, running smoothly. You know, the guys here were doing a tremendous job, uh, even though I wasn't here. So this, this was really like, was so gratifying for me to see that, you know, I have a team of people here in Dominican Republic and in Miami also that basically, you know, are doing what they have to do to, you know, keep the, uh, you know, the great cigars, the good cigars coming. And you know, keep everything going the the way that I, I always dream of. So I mean, this is really, you know, uh, very important to me. And and needless to say, you know, getting the number one cigar of the year, that was something that uh, I mean, it just it was an incredible feeling. You know, that that morning when uh, when we found out, 
you know, my, my, my daughter, my, my son, you know, myself, the whole family. We just, you know, here in Dominican, everybody was ecstatic. As a matter of fact, it's funny because I got the call from Dominican uh, before we found out in the U.S. And so I said, you know, how, how was that possible? But I got the call from here. Hey, we got the number one cigar of the year. So it was, uh, it was a very special moment. Let's put it that way. And I want to discuss how that affects the company a little bit, but I also want to ask about the psyche, right? Because when you're creating a blend, because you work on blends, you work on blends throughout the year, huh. looking, playing. Is that ever something that's factored into your head? Do you ever smoke it? And Or, you know, look, I think there's two different philosophies, and there's people that may be trying to chase it, working at it, and there's people that I think don't really think about it until it becomes that time of year in December and they're starting to, you know, watch and worry about it. Is the thought of that accolade ever enter your mind throughout the year in your process of your work or in blending? Well, you know, needless to say, you know, the, the reason we do, uh, you know, so much blending throughout the year, you know, one of the, you know, one of the main reasons is because I love doing that. You know, I enjoy that tremendously. But uh, also, you know, to to it's many years, you know, first of all, it's many years of experience. It's it's, you know, uh, many blends that we go through, you know, trying different tobaccos, you know, different uh, proportions and the and the blends. So it's an ongoing thing. You know, this is not something where you say, hey, you know what, I'm going to see I'm going to make a blend this year, introduce the next year to see if, you know, if we can, you know, get a good rating or whatever. No, this is an ongoing process. This is not something that just happens. It's, uh, you know, it's, you know, many years of work. And that's the only way to achieve that, you know, is to, you know, work constantly on it, uh, working with different tobaccos. Because at the end of the day, I think, you know, the, the, the tobaccos, the three lines, the Encore, the La Historia, and the Pledge Now, that we've gotten the high ratings has been because, you know, we've used different tobaccos that, you know, I haven't used before to a certain degree or have made national brands with them. So I think this is something, it's an ongoing process that you work uh, every year. And, you know, I mean, since 2004, you know, the ratings have been coming out and uh, I got my first rating in uh, 2018. So, I mean, it's been 14 years, you know, working, working. And needless to say, you know, you want to get that rating because uh, like you mentioned before, it does change, you know, your, your, your company. There's no doubt about that. You know? did, you, did you ever finish a cigar and, and, and you know got the final crock and smoked it and said to yourself this is going to be this this is going to be it this year does that ever like enter your mind or you think that this is going to be I love this cigar I think this is going to be it and then it didn't get any accolades at all does that ever go through your process no no because you know with the three cigars that uh, that uh, you know like Storia the Encore and the Pledge we knew. Uh, I mean, at least I felt very strongly in my heart that this had to get a great rating, you know, or a good rating at least. Uh, with the pledge, you know, we talked here, uh, you know, among ourselves. And I remember uh, at that time we, I had a young, uh, gentleman working with me, has been with me now for, was with me for about 15 years. And, and, and I basically, I said, uh, I said to him, uh, I said, you know, we have a very good possibility of this getting, you know, number one. And wow. in other words, we can't mess up. And he felt the same way, you know. And I think the reason I felt that was because, you know, this this cigar, the pledge, it's a little bit 
outside of what you know people known us know us for to a certain degree and um so i just had that feeling that uh you know that we were going to get you know a high rating and i remember saying to him i say you know this if this has if it doesn't happen with the cigars i'm quitting this industry because you did I, can't, not. <laughs> yeah, I said that i said yeah i quit you know i've been quitting now for about i, I don't know five <laughs> or ten years you know my plan is to retire when i'm 70 so i'm going to be 70 next year and i'm saying well, you know what let me wait till i'm 75 and you know I'll keep going every five years, see how things are, are going. But uh, it's like a, it's like, then, a, like a lease. You renew the lease every five years. You renew the lease, right, right, right. So, and that's how I felt. I mean, I felt so strong. You know, I felt so confident about you know um, this cigar that I knew I had to get uh, you know a high rating. Um, and everything, you know, it's not just about the cigar. You know, it's about you know, all the, everything that goes behind the cigar, you know, I mean, the packaging itself was something, you know, that people love the packaging, uh, the work that we all put in it, uh, and all those things add up, you know, a lot of people, you know, they think this is something that's easy that, you know, when you make a cigar that, you know, and you think it's a good cigar, you know, uh, you know, and, and then maybe you don't get the ratings, you get upset. But, you know, this is not the thing. This is something that you can never give up. Like I said before, you know, it's been 14 years that this thing has been going on, the ratings. And, you know, thank God after 14 years, you know, it, it, it was my turn with my company. So, You talked about the packaging. Tell us a little bit about what what the name for the pledge, where, where did that come from? Okay, I'll tell you a story about that because I, uh, this was something that uh, my my daughter, okay, she liked that name. And and from the beginning, I said, you know, Lisa, you know, we have La Historia, we have Encore, you know, Pledge, you know, I just don't feel, you know. And she said, okay, Dad, let's do something. Let's let's let our customers decide what the, uh, uh, you know, what the name should be. So I said, that's fair enough, you know. And uh, we were at the, um, in 2018, we were at the um, uh, Big Smoke, and uh, she came out with the idea of having uh, three names, three different names, um, and let you know the people that you know the customers that were coming in to to get the cigars at the big smokes choose a name, and you know whatever we had, whatever we had the most uh, uh, people vote on it, then that would be the name. And so that's the name that came out. And uh, so you know I've I've learned that. Uh, it, you know, not to argue with my kids. I mean, I know about making cigars. <laughs> I know about a lot of things in the tobacco industry, but when it comes to, you know, that aspect of packaging and marketing, you know, I have to leave that to, uh, you know, to my to my kids because they really, they were really the proponents of this whole series. You know, it was not uh, something that I came up with. It was something that they came up with. And it's been successful, I have to say. You know, the packaging, the look, um, it's just been... Uh, you know, something that, uh, uh, you know, I, I wonder if it hadn't been for them, you know, would that have, you know, would this line have existed? So, do you remember? I'm really proud of them. Do yeah. you remember what the other name choices were? To tell you the truth, it was so weird. There was no way anybody was going to pick anything else but the pledge. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I think you understand where I'm coming from, right? Pledge feels right. It felt right. 
it, it does. It has that, you know, thing that, you know, ring to it. It just, you know, uh, flows out, you know, pledge, inch, you know, the historia, anchor. It just, it just, it's just perfect for that, for this night, for this, uh, you know, for this line. And then right. the names, the prequel and the soldier. And I said, you know, I asked you, you know, what does that mean? Well, the prequel is before and the soldier. I said, and it also had my little bit of, you know, I wanted to put my two cents in there. And uh, basically, you know, I said, you know what? I'm not even going to argue because I think, uh, you know, they know what, what, you know, they know what they're doing better than I do. So that's, that's a pivotal, that's a pivotal moment for any parent. It is, you know, and what I've learned is, you know, what I've learned as, as a parent is, which is very important is, you know, you have to uh, definitely listen to your kids because, you know, this is a business that, uh, uh, and, and originally when we started the business, you know, it was because, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they decided to, uh, you know, leave what they were doing and be part of this project. So, I mean, if this is something that that's really a, 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 a family a family uh, uh, the company, and I wanted them to be a part of it, you know, more so than, you know, just me and my name or whatever I had done before. And uh, it's it's worked out great, you know. It, it hasn't been easy, you know, because you always, as a parent, you always want to kind of, you know, you think you know more than your kids. And, uh, you know, they've proved me that many times that I've been wrong, so. Yeah. I'm glad I listened to. It. I'm glad I listened to that. I, I, I'm this band here because it's, it's a beautiful band. It's, I, I, I love this art. On the side, I'm going to see if I can get it. You have two women. Yes. And there's one of them, and that's, there's a that, different one on the other side. And I'm wondering if that has any significant meaning, or is that just art? Well, no. the The woman, you know, the first one that you show, that's my uh, mother. When you know she was young, my mother, she wow. grew. Uh, she had twelve brothers and sisters, and uh, you know my grandfather. He used to grow tobacco in uh, a little town in uh, Cuba called Montesuelo. And uh, you know the twelve brothers would work in the tobacco field. So I mean, she worked as she was growing up. She was you know working in tobacco. And the one on the right is my daughter, and you see in the back the uh, Freedom oh. Tower. And and the reason the Freedom Tower is there because when we came to Miami in 1959, you know all the Cuban immigrants, the government would you know this is where you would go, and they would give you you know for instance they would give us peanut butter, uh, which you know up to today is my favorite food, uh, powdered milk, you know they give us rice, you know to help you know the families that uh, that immigrated you know get started somehow. So that's basically the, you know, two very important uh, uh, aspects of, of my life because, you know, the woman, my mother, needless to say, uh, has been a very important part of my life uh, as far as, you know, uh, making me s see things right. You know, my wife, uh, she's not on there, but my wife has also, you know, she was like my father's, really my father's first uh, employee because my oh. father started in 1968. Yeah. And uh, I started with my father in 1970. So, I mean, she was like, uh, you know, uh, very, she's always, you know, giving me the encouragement. Uh, and she's been, you know, she's been a great asset to, 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 you know, not only as a family, but in the business also. And then, you know, my daughter who, who, uh, you know, since she was little, she was always hanging out in the factory and, uh, with my, my little son earning. So, I mean, 
but the women have really been, you know, very important in, in our family. And, uh, and needless to say, of course, the father also, but I think the, uh, the women were like the, uh, how do you say the, those that held everything together. Yeah. And we still do, you know, they still do to a certain degree. So did, did your dad give you any slack for like dating an employee? He did give me slack. Now you gotta remember. You gotta remember when I started working with my dad in 1970. Uh, I got married the following year, and uh, you know I wanted to save up money to to you know I was gonna get married, and, and, and needless to say, you need a little bit of money for that. And what he would give me, he would what he would give me slack on was the fact that I was playing music, okay, and. At that time, I was making, I don't know, maybe $150 a week or whatever. And working with him, you know, he couldn't pay me that because, you know, the, the, the means weren't there. There was enough issues trying to get the, uh, you know, the weekly payroll for the cigar makers to, you know, pay me a salary. So he would kind of, you know, what I would do is I would work at nights. I'd get home at, you know, whatever time, you know, 10, 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. And then I'd go to work with him to uh, about you know, three or four and get ready to go back to work at night. But, you know, I think the, the, the you know, one of the things that I learned from, from my father was the respect for the, uh, for the employees. And I remember that, uh, you know, one time I was uh, at the factory, we had about maybe seven, eight people working there, but these were all, you know, Cuban cigar makers that had worked all their lives in the best, you know, Cuban factories in, in, in Cuba. And I remember I, uh, I, uh, there was this particular guy called uh, Enrique Valdez. And Enrique, I remember coming up to him and say, Enrique, you know, you're, you're, you're wasting too much tobacco. And Enrique says, well, listen, if you think I'm wasting, you know, too much tobacco, there's two things you can do. You can either fire me huh. or you can show me how to, you know, not waste as much tobacco. And he kind of caught me there because, you know, I didn't know how to make a cigar. I had made, made a cigar in my life. And um, I said to him, well, then maybe you should leave. That was a big mistake. Because the guy got, he got up and he left. So wow. that afternoon, my, yeah, yeah, he got up and he left. That afternoon, eh, I remember, you know, after everybody uh, had left, uh, my father asked me, he said, you know, I want you to stay a little bit longer. You know, I know you have to work, but, you know, stay a little bit longer because I, I want to talk to you. So he sat me down. He said, you know, Ernesto, you know, one thing you got to learn, you know, about this business or any business is, you know, you're just one person and you need people around you that are going to help you and support you, you know, for whatever you want to do in the future. So when you talk to people, the way you talk to this gentleman, and he wasn't mad, okay, he wasn't mad. The way you speak to this gentleman, you know, you're not going to get very far, you know, in anything in life. So that was kind of a lesson. And, and, and he said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to call Enrique tomorrow. You're going to apologize to him in front of everybody because, you know, you fire him in front of everybody. And, you know, you're going to apologize to him. So I said, yeah, dad, but, you know, I said, Ernesto, you know, think about it for a minute, you know, you know, what you did was wrong. I mean, if you want to fire the guy, you know, you call him, you know, on the side, 
and you talk to him, you communicate with him. You know, you don't get in front of, 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 of artists because, you know, you just, these cigar makers have been working doing this for 40, 50 years. You can't teach them anything. And you have to trust that what they're doing is the best that they're doing with what we give them. So needless to say, uh, the next day, you know, at, at that time, we didn't have, we had phones, but I don't think the guy had a phone. So, I, you know, I had to go get the guy. And it's funny because I remember this guy where he lived, he had three pit bulls. Oh. They were the size, yeah. <laughs> so, so I knock on the door, and, and Enrique, you know, he's there. He says, Enrique, I want to talk to you. He says, well, what do you have to say? I said, no, no, I want you to come back and work for us, and, and you know, I want to apologize to you because what I did was wrong. And it was incredible because from that moment on, you know, when I did that, the respect that I got from, you know, the rest of the – yeah, was incredible. Yeah. And, and it – it you know it, it worked out because you know unfortunately my, my father passed out in 1980 and you know i had to take over the factory and you know these people knew that you know even though i wasn't that knowledgeable as you know they were at least i had that you know a uh, uh, thing where i wanted to learn where you know i wanted to you know have a, a great cigar and um you know keep the factory going because, uh, you know, those weren't easy times, the 80s, for a cigar factory. And um, and Enrique became, like, you know, one of my, my, my best friends, you know, forever. And, uh, you know, there, there were, you know, a few people like that that uh, really helped me, you know, when I was starting to really, uh, you know, get the, the, uh, the cigars, you know, made right and, and the right blends and all that type of stuff. So it was an experience. And even today... You know, I, I tend to at times lose it, you know, but I hope, uh, you know, I, I sit back and I say, you know what? I always remember back to those days. So I try to control that many, uh, many times, you know. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes what... that, 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 you know, Cuban blood just boils up and <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. hard to control. But, but Ernesto, it's paid off dividends for you. I mean, yes, it just so, so what you said earlier about you were on the list five times. I actually went into my records here. You were on nine times since you started. Was it really? You're on nine times. Yeah, five years in a row. You're on five years in a row. But going back to 2010, you've been on nine times. And when I look at this year for you, Ernesto, you had three cigars on this top 25 out of your factory in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, that's one of them going number one with the highest rated number one cigar score on the ratings ever. Enor- enormous accomplishment that you've had this year. I mean, you, that, that's, that's showing like that those years have all paid off and, and you see what happened this year under the most difficult circumstances. It has paid off. And, you know, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned that, Coop, because, you know, two of the cigars, the Gatekeeper and the, uh, the uh, Crown Head Capa Especial, <clears throat> those, were, those came out, I believe they were 40, was it 44 blends that we had been working on, you know, during the years. So, you know, when Alec and Bradley um, came to me to, uh, you know, make a cigar, you know, we had all these blends that they could go through. But I always, you know, needless to say, the 44 blends weren't, you know, exactly blends that I that I loved. So I would give them, you know, the ones that I liked. Uh, the same thing with the uh, Crown Heads, with the Capa Especial. Um, and, you know, something that I think that would do good for their profile, because you also have to look at, at about, you know, when you're doing a private label, you have to look at the customer. You have to understand their philosophy, 
their business strategy or their business model and you know try to do something that will not get too away from that but will at the same time be different than what they're doing now and that has been the uh, you know the way that i like to work when i make uh, private labels yeah, I think and, and I think and I think to get you know I think you know they, I mean needless to say they were you know ecstatic about that uh, because there were cigars that like I say there was a lot of work behind them there was just not something that you you guys come let's make a couple of blends yeah you like this no I like that no no it takes times to come up with a blend that that has some uh, you know some really quality and significance to it it just doesn't happen over a week or two weeks. It's a, it's a lot longer process than most. It's a lot longer. Yeah. It's a lot longer. Even this cigar, the pledge, you know, people, you know, I started using the uh, Havana, Connecticut wrapper. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of, about that. That I became, uh, <clears throat> I came into this wrapper about 1982, 83. And the way that I came about this wrapper is, you know, at that time in Miami, there was about maybe 20 chinchales. And we were all making pretty much the same thing, the, uh, you know, the short filler fumas and casadores. And basically we all used, you know, broad leaf. But it's funny because, you know, uh, where we had the factory, there was a, uh, a, uh, a little cafe there on the corner there. And I would see that, you know, there was one particular brand it was called Turiano that I would see, you know, my bundles, I would see, you know, Maribel's bundle, Don Goyo's bundle, and then you will see this bundle, and this bundle was always empty. And I said, shit, you know, what is this guy doing that's different? So I bought all those cigars, and I started smoking them, and I said, man, you know, this is really nice. This is a real full body, you know, flavorful smoke. It's different than what I'm using now. So I remember I went to visit this gentleman. He had a factory on 27th and, uh, what was it, 2nd or 3rd Street, uh, Northwest. And this was an elderly gentleman, okay? So I go visit him and I start asking him about, you know, what tobaccos he's using. Because at that time, even now, you know, we all talk among each other about the different uh, tobaccos that are out there and, you know, what they're using, what they're not using. Uh, and this guy basically said, well, no, I'm using this wrapper that, uh, you know, the guy that sells it to me, you know, he doesn't want to sell it to anybody because he has too much demand. And... Uh, so it's not really available to anybody here in Miami. And I said, okay, well, if that's the case, you know, let me see how I can find out about this particular person. So I remember one day I was driving down and I see that there's a truck right in front of his uh, place and they're bringing out, you know, two or three boxes, wood boxes, which is at that time, that's where the, uh, you know, the broadleaf and this particular tobacco used to come in, the Havana, Connecticut. So I parked. And, and I, you know, I, I walk on the sidewalk and I see the boxes and I see the name of the uh, producer, uh, Peter Makoski, I think his name was. And this was from Massachusetts. So while I'm doing that, Turiano walks out and he sees me looking at the label. And, you know, he kind of figured, look, this guy caught me, so I might as well tell him where this is coming from. Uh, and then he told me, Ernesto, you know, uh, if you want some of this tobacco, you know, I'll help you get some. And that's how basically how I started working with that particular tobacco back in the early 80s. And it did make a difference because, you know, our sales starting to really uh, expand. Now, at that time, you know, I, I bought maybe a box, two boxes. I didn't have the, uh, the means to buy more. But, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, 
from that moment, that tobacco impressed me tremendously because it had a beautiful, I remember it had a beautiful reddish color. It was, you know, it had the strength. It had some of the creaminess. Um, and then when I was able to get that tobacco here in Dominican Republic, at first they started bringing it in, you know, limited quantities. <clears throat> and I started using it. We made a couple of things in 2018. We made the uh, TAA exclusive with that particular uh, wrapper. And about 2000, I believe it was 2019, more of that tobacco started coming into the uh, Dominican Republic. <clears throat> and um, I started buying, okay, because I knew that, you know, in the future, I wanted to, uh, to use that tobacco. And it so happens that uh, probably around that same year, we were going to come out with a land extension for the Perez Carrillo. And I remember being at the, uh, you know, we were at my at, at the office in Miami. It was Ernie, you know, David, uh, it was Mike, Celine, who were with us at that time. And, uh, you know, I brought like six blends of different blends that uh, I had made up, you know, some using Habanos, others using uh, Sumatra. Uh, we used Connecticut also, because, you know, we hadn't defined, you know, which way to go. And I had made some some samples with this particular tobacco, but I wasn't thinking about doing anything with it yet. You know, I wanted to, you know, wait a little bit and be sure that I'd be able to get enough inventory so that if we did anything, I'd be able to have enough because I knew that it was going to be something different in our portfolio. <clears throat> so they're going through the cigars. And I brought like six blends. Uh, they're going through the cigars and uh, they're looking at me like, you know, disappointed. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, at, at one point, David, uh, David Spurred uh, told me, he said, Ernesto, you know, at some point we have to do something with these cigars, with this particular tobacco, because this is, you know, this is phenomenal. So I had, you know, one cigar, okay, that I had made with, uh, with this particular band that we're using now, you know, just as an experimental. And I said, I uh, remember I brought back, I brought back like five. And I gave a couple to David and I kept, you know, the, the other for myself. And uh, I had smoked mine, right? I, I loved the uh, cigar, but I wasn't even thinking about, you know, it being one of the Perez Carrillo uh, series cigars. And I asked David to, you know, if he had any of those left. So he said, I have one left. So he brought the cigar and, and I said, you know, there's one cigar, so let's all try it. Now, this was pre-pandemic, all right? So I remember I gave the cigar to Ernie first, and when he lit it, I saw his eyes starting to water. And, you know, this was his exact word. He says, uh, Dad, this is what we're going to come out with. I say, hey, you know, hold on a minute. That's, no, no, no. This is, what, this is what I want to come out with. So, I mean, when the rest of the guys smoked it, you know, they were, Ernesto, you know, we agree this is a cigar. So now... I said, okay, this is a cigar. Let me start. Luckily, like I said, I had bought some of this tobacco. And uh, the plan was to, you know, introduce it, I think, in March. So we started the production. And then in March, we had the, uh, you know, the, the pandemic where essentially we closed uh, our factory from March, uh, I think it was March 19th, excuse me, to about May. May, uh, last week in May. So we had, you know, a little bit of production and, uh, you know, we started, uh, I think we started 
it was either June or July when the, we started introducing the cigar in the market. And we saw from the beginning that the cigar had a lot of, you know, acceptance and, and a lot of, uh, you know, demand for it, even before the ratings. And, and it's funny because, you know, when we worked on the sizes, you know, this was another thing that uh, I wanted to come out with, uh, you know, more or less the sizes that we have in the, uh, in the uh, Perez Carrillo series, you know, the 52, the 50, the 54. And uh, my son said, no, we're going to come out with a Robusto and with a Toro size. And I said, well, you know, that's going to kind of change the line a little bit. He says, you know, trust me, that's what we're going to come out with. Because, and look, I said, all right, that's what you're going to come out with. Let's, let's come out with those two sizes. And we see the uh, results. So, like I said, this was, this was something that uh, it, it just happened to a certain degree, uh, not by accident, but because, you know, the constant work, working on tobaccos and blends to, you know, always be prepared for that cigar that's going to make a difference in the marketplace. Ernesto, are, is that rap? Is that rap yeah. still from Massachusetts or is it Connecticut? No, this rap, this yeah, this is grown now. The wrapper that we use is, is grown in Connecticut. Uh, the wrapper from Massachusetts, uh, it's a little bit different in the colors. The wrapper from Massachusetts has more of a uh, dark Colorado color. This right. has the one in Connecticut is more of a darker broadleaf type of color. But it has a lot more oils than, than the broadleaf. So it takes yeah. a lot more time to ferment. You know, it has, you know, more strength. It has more of the peppery. And it also has some of the creaminess, which is what I love about it, you know. Now, we have a question from one of our KMA fans, Ernesto, Rod Grimes. Uh, he wanted to know, like, when you work with outside companies that you make cigars for, like the Crown Heads, hmm. do they help with the blending or do you just send them blends that they approve or disapprove and work on? How involved are some of the other companies that you work with <clears throat> in, in, well, in the blending process? Well, the, the, you know, they, they all somehow need to get involved, you know, you know, I'll send them blends, needless to say, because, you know, we have different blends that, uh, with Habano and with, uh, you know, Mexican wrapper and with, uh, a Sumatra wrapper. So I send them, you know, the different blends. And if they don't like a particular blend for whatever reason, or they're not, you know, they're not, uh, satisfied or they're not what it's looking for. And then what I do is then we start working with the blends together, you know, as far as, you know, what are you looking for as far as, you know, strength, flavor, uh, creaminess, uh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, those are the guys selling the cigars and they have to feel satisfied and, and uh, happy with what with, uh, with they're smoking. Now, saying that, you know, if it goes too far out with something that I like, then I have to need to say, I have to also say, look. Uh, you know, and usually they, they, you know, they're, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty good about it. You know, they'll listen because, you know, they know that, you know, I want them to succeed uh, as much as, you know, I want to sure. be able to Yeah. You know, this is not about, you know, you know, me succeeding, you know, I want you guys to succeed also, you know, in the future, I want to, I want to be able to achieve that where, you know, we get a number one, you know, with one of the private labels that I make. I mean, that's really an, an accomplishment, you know? I wonder if that's ever happened. Probably Coop would know. I guess it has to have. Uh, yeah, I can't confirm one way or another. I mean, I guess it has to have. Yeah. I mean, VSG was up there a few times, and you know they don't make they don't make cigars. So I guess yeah, it had to, logistically it has to have happened. Yeah. 
Well, you know, the thing is, when you make a private label, you know, it still it still has uh, your name on it. And the last thing, you know, you want is for, you know, something to be out there and, and you know, have people, you know, start trashing it for whatever reason. That's something that I'm very careful about. That's why I say, you know, you know, we'll make the blends, you know, we'll work on you with the blends. But at the end of the day, you know, if it's something that I don't feel is right, then you have to make it somewhere else. Right. Jay Davis is saying Casa Magna, but Casa Magna was made by Quesada at the time, it wasn't was it? Put, it was in Placencia. So oh, Placencia, that's yeah, right. So it was, yeah. So yeah, that's it was. right. And then I don't right, count yeah. out if you put Alec Bradley in that route, route that's kind of Prensado. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely happened. So, yeah, it's happened now that I'm thinking about it. Ernesto, I'll give you another little factoid I looked up. So, yeah. only one cigar has gotten number one on Cigar Aficionado with a rapper from the U.S. Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah, so congratulations wow. on that as well. Well, listen. Yeah. That's that's did you even makes that more... or did you, did you research well, that? I, 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 I did some research for the show. Okay. <laughs> I did nice. this before the show. Wow. Yeah. That's, See, that's what a real producer does. <laughs> oh. So so you know, so what does that tell our, you know, what does that tell our government? We've got to support our growers, you know? Sure. Sure. We gotta yeah. support because you know, this this is something yeah. to uh uh that is unique to a certain degree, you know? Yeah. For for an for an American it, tobacco it, it, to it, it, and, and, you know, and, and let me tell you something. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about this, but you know, I can't keep my mouth shut when I I'm, when I get excited about something. Uh, there's, there's, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention companies, <clears throat> but there's there's a company working on fillers, on Havana-grown fillers from the United States. Really? And, uh, wow. Yes. Yes. And I got some samples. Now this is just an experiment, okay? And it's Havana seeds. And I just got, you know, some samples. And let me tell you, I, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed, man. And this is something, like I said, you know, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to to see, you know, I have to make, I make some blends with it, see how it's going to smoke. But, uh, you know, from the aroma, from so far, from what I've seen, I think it has a tremendous potential. Wouldn't happen to be from Florida. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm not saying from Florida. I'm not saying from where it is. I'm just saying there's there's a, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot that I feel is going to be happening in the future with U.S. tobacco. And this is just you know the Havana, Connecticut, the broadleaf. We all know broadleaf is you know probably one of those most sought after tobaccos in 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 in, in the premium cigar industry. Uh, well, but I think there's there's going to be more coming. I was just having a talk with Sock. I mean, broadly, it just seems to be that high demand right now. And, and, you know, I think almost every manufacturer that I talk to has a concern with any production that's using broadleaf. Well, the thing with the broadleaf, it's, it's becoming demand because a lot of the mass markets are, uh, are using it. You know, the Backwoods uh, and a lot of other brands that use broadleaf. I think backwoods, backwoods. I'm sorry, were probably the first ones that were using that tobacco, but it's become so popular because of that that now, you know, they're not only growing in, in the United States; they're growing in Nicaragua, Honduras. Um, you know, I understand they're growing in Indonesia. So there's a lot of demand for that particular wrapper. Now, and right now, you, for 
Yeah. Now, when you so, put it on mass market, is mass market buying the same grade wrapper that premium is? I mean, it just seems like they wouldn't pay as much. Or, you know, because, I mean, their product, you know, if you take out the, the, the draconian tax that's on mass market cigars, mass market's been mass market because it's relatively inexpensive, you know. Um, are they buying the same quality broadleaf that, that they can, they can, they can buy basically, you know, what, what, what happens is, you know, everything that they buy, they use, you know, yeah. uh, so it's they would buy, they would buy, you know, it's, it's different than in my case where, you know, I buy it already sorted and, you know, to a certain degree with some fermentation, you know, they buy whole crops and they do all that work themselves. That's the only way really that you can, you know, be able to get as much tobacco as, as they demand. Um, so that's cost, you know, a shortage and the market for broad leaf. And that's why a lot of manufacturers, you know, don't want to work with that because, you know, it's, it's hard to get. And it also, it adds up, you know, the, the cost of the cigar tremendously. I, I'll give you an example. When I started using broad leaf back in the early 80s, I used to buy it from a gentleman, uh, locally named uh, Sabino de la Portilla. And he used to get it from a farmer uh, that was named uh, Sarah Farms. Now, I used to, you know, f pay for that tobacco. You know, the first great, beautiful tobacco. I mean, it was incredible. I used to pay two twenty-five for it, a pound, because nobody, you know, bought it at that time. Right. Uh, nowadays, it's $30 a pound. Yeah. So that's why it's become so expensive, you know. And, you know, needless to say, those cigars with broad leaf, uh, you know, they, they uh, right now it's, it's getting very hard to get, you know, a broad leaf wrapper for the premium industry. That's interesting. Well, we're going to, listen, cigar, number one cigar of the year is probably the most prestigious accolade. It completely changes a company, but sometimes it changes a company and it Sometimes it's a curse and it has problematic. And we're, I want to get more in depth with you about that after the break. We do okay. have to take a break. And after the break, we're going to have one of our newest segments, uh, a little short feature presented by Avo Cigars. And of course, we have the man Coop coming up in hour two. So don't go anywhere. Keep it lit. Okay. Surgeon General Warning Cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat, even if you do not inhale. Celebrating 85 years of success, the Monte Cristo 1935 anniversary is a tribute to the outstanding accomplishments Monte Cristo has achieved since the brand's inception. This cigar comes from the creative minds of Rafael Nadal, A.J. Fernandez, and the Grupo de Maestros. It is a full-body Nicaraguan puro that pays homage to the original tobaccos used in the very first Monte Cristo cigar. Flavor notes you'll detect while smoking are pepper, cedar, and chocolate, all of which pair perfectly with a cappuccino. No matter what four sizes you pick, this classic smoke will send you on a trip down memory lane and all the way back to 1935. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat, even if you do not inhale. Welcome back. KMA Talk Radio, episode number 412, uh, with uh, my man Alex Cavalla, and of course our number one and favorite contributor, William Cooper, sitting in for our producer, Paul Gracco. And our special guest for today, Ernesto Perez Carrillo. <clears throat> Is he still in the room? Did he leave? He's in the room. He just ran out for a second. Um, here he comes. Just want to point out, if you notice anything different about the show, I apologize. Today, I am the best producer we can afford in Paul's absence. So 
No, uh, one, even, no one even noticed. What does that, uh, mean? <laughs> what does that tell you? Before we get into our new feature, um, Coop, you know, we had the little contest that Jose Blanco uh, threw out there himself. Yeah. So, uh, are we going to be telling people where you were last? Yeah, I've yeah, announced I it already. It a little bit. You announced yep. it. I announced it. Yes. Uh, On PMA or? No, I announced it this week. Well, in case anybody missed it, why don't you say so again? Uh, the final destination was Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff, Arizona. Just, just it was just a leisurely trip getting away. It was a. It was basically I needed to get out of the house trip, uh, but it was a very social distance trip, is what I was mentioning last week. I didn't visit cigar shops. I didn't go to restaurants. Um, I didn't visit any friends. So it was really kind of hitting the road and uh, a lot of time in my car and outside. I smoke more outside at places than anything, parks, rest stops. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, the idea is if I get out of the house, I wanted to, you know, before I start going into a crowd, I wanted to kind of ease my back in a little more. All right, nice. So. Uh, my main man, Eddie Gare, over at Davidoff Cigars, has always been a big fan of KMA Talk Radio, and he reached out to me earlier this year, and he came up with an interesting segment that we thought would be fun for our special guests. So our new segment's called As the Record Spins. All right, Ernesto, uh, this is a new segment. You're actually our first guest to be involved. It's called As yes. the Record Spins, by, powered by Avo Cigars. So here's a direct question for Eddie Guerra. Are you ready? Yes. If you had to live in any period of human history, which would it be and why? Huh. That's... Uh... Well, listen, the one I'm living now, I don't think it could get any better. Uh, but, you know, saying that, uh, I like to, you know, I like to, uh, you know, read up a lot about, uh, you know, Roman history, uh, you know, Julius Caesar, uh, oh, the Alexander day. the Good. Alexander was, you know, before and whatever. Uh, Cicero, who was, you know, a great, uh, you know, one of the great statesmen of, uh, of Rome during that period. Um, so, you know, when you read about those things, you see that, you know, it, it wasn't that uh, that good for everybody. So you really had to, you know, fight for whatever you wanted to achieve. Uh, nowadays, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, we have such, you know, everybody, not everybody, but most of us have such an easy life because, you know, you know, we, we have things at our disposal that, uh, you know, perhaps at one time, uh, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't get. Uh, so, but, you know, those days you really had to be a fighter. You really did have to be somebody that uh, to, to, you know, get ahead or, or have something. You really have to, you know, fight for it. So, and, you, uh, not, not be complacent. Do, do you see yourself being a politician? Uh, what, what do they call that coop where the all the senators gathered? There was a name for it, you know, in the big round. They all stand. Oh, geez, you put me yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, DC has a yeah. question. Would you have been a politician? Would you have been a, a, a soldier? Would you have been a gladiator? I th I think that uh, I think that uh, I think I you know at some point I would have liked that because you know my my father was in politics. He was yeah. a senator in Cuba uh, for the, the, the 1954. Yeah, the in 1958 he got elected Senate. again. So I think you know I would have liked some of that. Uh, as far as, you know, being able, I mean, you know, being, being in, in those, uh, I'm trying to think what they used to call that thing. You know, though, that's the, uh, the room. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, I can't remember it now, yeah, but, it, I mean, but I think it would have been interesting because, you know, I, I uh, you know, you read about, you read about that and, you know, the different debates that they had among each other, you know, the cutthroat, you know, the unite behind the back, you know, that type of stuff. I mean, you really had to be on your toes to stay ahead of the game in those days. I, I think, I mean, this is actually a good question. I think that I'm probably, I mean, outside of our current era, obviously, I think I'd probably be most attracted to, to medieval times. I like that whole, I like that whole knighthood, Lancelot, yeah. Knights of the Round Table. You know, I mean, I, I think that, that was, I mean, you know, I mean, look, I mean, it was filth and slush. And I mean, uh, dark ages. It was dark ages. I think that yeah. was a cool time in, in in world history, you know. I mean, you, you read about you know Alexander the Great and the vision that he had, where he basically wanted to, you know, dominate the world, and he died a young man, but he pretty much achieved that. So, I mean, those were the times where, like I said, you know, you really had to, uh, you know, be on your toe and be a fighter to to get ahead, and Absolutely. not be eaten up by the uh, by the system. Well, what an interesting question, Eddie Garrett. Thank you. Once again, that was As the Record Spins, powered by Avo Cigars. So back now to uh, more of Ernesto Perez Carrillo. So before we went on the break, we talked about how that number one rating has made it some companies. Some companies have, have learned how to keep that momentum going. Some have flared out and burned out, and some has had a negative impact. Um, yes. You have now had experience. Do you feel uh, that having a number one before prepared you better this time around? And what do you feel that you have done differently to prevent a lot of the catastrophic or tactical mistakes that companies in the past have made when they've achieved this accolade? Well, I think, you know, the the... I think that, you know, needless to say, getting a number one does, you know, change, you know, the whole uh, concept, the whole, you know, vision of the company. And in our case, you know, uh, and like I said before, you know, in 2020, when we wanted to, you know, start making the uh, introducer cigar, you know, we were closed for two months. So, well, basically, yeah, two or three months. And when we came back, when we came back, uh, because of the social distancing, because, you know, everything that the government here uh, wanted, you know, you know, the, the, the people to do, we had to unfortunately let go. We could only work with about 60 percent of our employees. So we had to let go 40 percent of our employees. At that time, we had like 160 people working. And when we came back, we came back with about I think it was like 100, 100 and, you know, 110 maybe. So even today, you know, even today we're still working where before we had like, you know, the cigar makers and one 
and one table. And, you know, the tables are of two, the bunch and the roller. Now we only have one cigar maker and one table. So needless to say, that has really, you know, hurt our production tremendously. Uh, we were producing at that time, uh, I think it was about, what, maybe 70,000 cigars a week, 60, 70,000. And this is where we're trying to get to now, but with less people. So what we have to do now is, you know, we're working, you know, overtime every day. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're working here Saturday also here to try to get to that number now, which is now what we need now is not 70,000. What we need more is like, you know, 100,000 a week to really meet that demand. So unfortunately, uh, because of the situation, it's a little bit hard for us to really, you know, uh, you know, put out as many cigars as we like because we still have to go through the process of the, you know, the fermentation, the aging of the cigar, and all that type of thing. And the fact that now, you know, Dominican, you know, uh, the demand here for cigar makers has become incredible. It's almost as worse as the boom back in 1992. Wow. So, so every factory, every factory, you know, we're keeping with this, with the social distancing, and it's hurting production. You know, we have to say you know, it's hurting production because we just can't make enough cigars nowadays. And basically because of that. So what we're doing is, you know, we're trying to get, you know, more people. But right now we're working Saturdays. Next, probably in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start working, try to go seven days a week to see if we can at least, you know, meet production, the demand that we have out there now. And it's, only, and it's not only from us, you know, it's also from, you know, uh, uh, Alec Bradley. It's also from Crown Head. So it's a... It's, uh, it's a you know it's a pressing situation that it's in our hands now. Now I've but even, that yeah. I even heard sometimes companies go to double shifts. That's right, they do. But not I don't think that's the case now. And as far as the premium, I know in the machine made they have you know double and triple shifts. I think in the premium now what we're doing is basically you know working the extra hours and the the weekends. But you know you can only do that for a time. After a while, you know it's too much. People get so, tired. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we want to keep the quality. And this is one of the reasons that we went the extra, you know, uh, we're working about two, three hours a day every day, you know, to be sure that if they make their, their cigars, you know, the quality is not going to suffer. Do you feel that's been a mistake by some predecessors who received the number one cigar that they've allowed the quality to suffer to meet the demand? Uh, you know, I think... You know, I think that may be the case, uh, but you know, when you when 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 you're in a situation like that, you know, you have basically you know one year to really, uh, you know, get as much of that product out as you can, and and I think it you know I think it can happen, uh, and in our case, you know, we uh, we you know we want to make sure that doesn't happen because you know after this opportunity of you know being able to to you know really get our company solidified you don't want to mess that up by you know getting cigars out that uh, that aren't right and uh it you know it, it it can happen it can happen but you know the way that i look at this the way that we look at this this is a long-term thing this is not this year alone you know we want to keep this going for forever because we have that we have that with la historia and the encore you know, even though La Historia got rated number two back in 2014, that's still, you know, a, a very strong selling 
uh, line and as, as the end core, you know, the end core is, you know, they're setting almost as much as when we got the number one. And, you know, now it's not only the United States that we're selling into, you know, we're selling internationally. Uh, we're in about, I think, what was it, 44 or, or yeah, 44 wow. different countries now. So the fact that we got those ratings, you know, has opened up all these doors for us. So we got to be sure that those doors stay open. And when the next number one comes, you know, they don't forget about us, which seems to be the case with La Historia and the Enco, and I think with this cigar also. Now, uh, sorry, Cooper, let me just ask this real yeah. quick, and I'll lay it up for you. Um, you know, you mentioned something about international stuff, and for somebody who's a well-seasoned veteran, been in the industry many, many years, um, because just ourself personally, where, you know, where we had no shipping overseas, and now we ship dramatically, we, we have... Wow. We ship overseas every day. Every day we have packages going overseas. So, and when you know when we started our mail order business, we weren't shipping. It was years before we started shipping overseas. Have you seen the American brands' consumption overseas, which typically was predominantly Cuban cigars? Um, I mean, that's all they kind of knew when the American market was developed. Um, right. It didn't really feed in there. Did you see? Do you see that dramatically increasing over the last decade? I have seen that, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure we, we're, you know, most of us are familiar with the dormant show. Yeah. Uh, when I started going to dormant, uh, was it four years ago, I believe? And, you know, and that's more. It's like a, like an IPCPR, but this is more, you know, distributors, okay? Because that's how usually how retailers buy from, uh, you know, from distributors in the different countries. You know, we are in Switzerland, Germany, Austria. Um, you know, Dubai, England, France, and they're the ones that distribute the cigars in those particular uh, uh, countries, you know, Spain. And I remember when I first went to Dortmund, um, I think we, maybe we had maybe eight, eight customers, you know, and every year just kept going. Last year, we were up to, I believe it was 20, uh, well, the year before we were up to 28. So you see the growth constantly, you know, not only from, you know, Europe, you see it also in the Middle East, you see it now in China. You know, we're one of the, uh, I think, four or five companies in, in, in Dominican Republic that are actually registered with the Chinese government. So, you know, we're selling our cigars there. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, a lot of plans for, you know, growing in China and in Europe also. And I think, you know, I think the reason for that is that, you know, people, I mean, they've known Cuban cigars, you know, all their lives. That's all there has. But, you know, there's younger people that are starting to smoke and they want to try different things. You know, the young generation nowadays is, uh, you know, they want to smoke different things. They want to try different things. And I think this is why the demand, you know, for for uh, other cigars aside the Cuban has grown so much in Europe, because there's a lot of youth out there that want to try different things, you know. Uh, now the older generation maybe they'll smoke, keep smoking Cuban cigars, but I think they'll also be trying more of the uh, cigars made in the, in the different countries outside of Cuba. So there's definitely growth there, and there's a lot of growth. And I tell you, um, 
it, it's amazing because you know when when you look at the numbers from one year to the other, you say, wait a minute. Even the pandemic, in the pandemic, from last year, uh, 2020, I think we were down five percent, which you know it's not bad. It's it's huge, and the demand keeps growing. You know, even now with the pledge, you know, we have, you know, countries that are owing you know tremendous amount of pledge. Uh, and needless to say, you know, it's going to be a while before we get out there. But, you know, eventually we, we want to get out there also. Ernesto, the, the inch has been like a monster for you. We talked about Perez Carrillo, you know, the success of that. But the inch is probably another great one you've had success with. How has that performed overseas in the international market, which is not known for the bigger ring gauges, but starting to get there? It's starting to get It is. It is. I'll tell you probably the four markets that we do the best uh, with the inch. Uh, well, there's it's Spain, there's uh, Switzerland, Germany. There's another market I'm trying to think. I think England also does very well. And oh, France, 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 they buy a lot of the inch seven by 70 in the Maduro. Wow. Yeah. Spain mm -hmm. does a 62. And then, you know, when you look at, uh, at um, you know, Switzerland and, and Germany, you know, they do great with basically all the sizes. Right. So, and I'm talking about volumes. I'm not talking about, you know, 10 boxes, 15 boxes. I'm talking about volume. So you see there that even that market is changing into, you know, you know, not only the, the uh, you know, the cigars we make here in Dominican and, and Nicaragua and Honduras, but also the big ring gauge cigars. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I, this, this distributor we have in, in France, you know, he'll buy, you know, 200, 250 boxes or whatever of the inch Maduro. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I mean, the, the French, you know, they're not going to smoke this cigar. Right. And, and I was see, I was in, uh, France, uh, you know, a couple of years ago and I walk into this place and there's the, uh, the inch Maduro, the, the number 70. So, I mean, that was a, you know, that was, what? that was, you know, that was, that was special. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the big ring gauge, I think, you know, our thing is, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're one of the, the, the companies that make those big ring gauges, you know, uh, in the different sizes, 64, you know, the 70, the 60, the 62. And, and I think that's, that's uh, in the future, we're going to see a lot more of those cigars being sold abroad. Yeah. That, I would have never thought France. I, Germany, I'm surprised with France. I, that one surprised me. That's amazing. It did surprise me. And yeah. and in Switzerland, you know, we, our distributor down there, uh, I mean, he does tremendous job with the inch. Yeah. Now we're going to start. Now one that's doing very well also in Europe is the uh, Ringmaster. You know, that's going very well in Germany. So, Using the Habano wrap, the Connecticut Habano The Habano, wrap. yeah. That's yep. an old, old yep. Nicaraguan blend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very good. Now, Ernesto, you 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 have a reputation because you you, know, you bought a little bit about what your father, the lessons your father taught you early on, and how to deal with people. And I, and I, you know, look, I agree with that. And I think that's probably one of the best lessons he could have taught you early on, because I think anybody out there who's listening to who employs people, um, you know, I think the worst thing anybody who's in charge or an owner would look at other people as employees. 
because they're not objects, they're people. And I think as an employer, you should understand them, learn what their needs are, and you'll get a better team. Because if you don't build a team, it's very hard to do anything. So that was a great lesson from your father. But another thing that you're very well known for is there are many stories in our industry about you literally helping other companies. Jonathan Drew is one that comes off the top of my head will tell a story where they had factory problems and some production issues and you went and spent a few days there. And, you know, that's a very telling tale. And where did that philosophy, was that something that your dad taught you early on? Because even in my industry, I'm the same way. I I believe we can all rise together. So I support other retailers, other retailers support me. And then there's that mentality of retailers that think everybody's against them and don't want to talk to anybody and, yeah. You know, but where did you get that philosophy instilled with you? Because there are many stories of this industry over your history of you being very integral and very helpful to other people in needs who would be your competitors. Well, you know, the, the way that I, you know, the, I mean, that that's just me. You know, I can't, like I said before, I just can't keep, you know, things to myself that I think that will, you know, help somebody else or help the industry, you know. I think long term, what we all have to look at is that fact that, you know, we all want this industry, you know, to survive and keep going. You know, we have enough issues already with the FDA and everything else that's going on. So the only way to do that is to, you know, if you can help somebody somehow, uh, whether it be with advice, with tobacco, you know, whatever the issue may be, I think it's, it's, it's your duty to do it, you know. And, you know, when you try to keep things to yourself, you know, uh, it, long term, it's going to hurt you, too. And I'll give you an, I'll give you an interesting story because, you know, uh, we've all heard of, uh, you know, Peruvian cuisine. And, you know, I read a little bit of story about that and I started looking into that a lot into, you know, chefs, you know, how the chefs work, you know, from the different countries. And in Peru, uh, there was this one restaurant uh gaston who you know hired some of the best chefs in peru uh victor martinez of central you know and others and basically you know he would at one point encourage these people to go out on their own and open up their own restaurants because he didn't you know he didn't worry about the competition you know he worried about you know the country being known for you know you know like france or spain and you see this a lot in, 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 in the, you know, in the restaurant industry where, you know, you'll have, for instance, you'll have in Spain, you'll have uh, chefs that go into El Bulli when it existed. You know, you'd have French chefs, Italian chefs, and they come in and this guy, Ferran, uh, he would give you the recipes. He would teach you all his techniques and in France also, you know. So, you know, I start thinking about that. And, and again, this is something that, you know, just natural I me. Mean, I want to help people because I expect people, you know, if I need some help, you know, and they can give me some advice, you know, it's, it's going to help. And it happens, you know. I've gotten a lot of advice from, from other manufacturers that has really helped me a lot uh, in doing what I do. Is there, a so story, I think, is there a story you could share with us about uh, somebody coming to help you out when you needed help? Well, yes. Yes, there's, there's a story. Uh, there's a story, you know, uh, and this is basically, uh, well, I mean, there's many stories, but I'll give you one. Okay, yeah. I'll give you one in particular. 
uh, and this was a few years back, uh, Pepin Garcia was here in Dominican Republic. <clears throat> and I asked Pepin to come by the factory and I wanted him to show, you know, my cigar makers how he made a cigar. Cause you know, Pepin is, you know, probably one of the greatest cigar makers, uh, uh, around or that ever existed. So he came, I think I have a video of that. I don't know if it's on YouTube or something. And he came around and he sat down, you know, all the cigar makers got around and, and he showed him, you know, how to bunch, how to, you know, excuse me, cut the wrapper. That's great. Because, you know, it's one thing me telling them how to do it because I've seen it so many times, but it's another thing when you sit down and you do it. So, I mean, that was something that was, you know, for me was, was you know, very special because, you know, the, when he left, you know, the, the guy that I had here and, and the cigar makers, you know, they understood what I wanted. They saw what I wanted. And um, so it, it was, you know, yeah, you know, me and Pepin, we talk a lot. You know, he's taught me a lot about the, uh, you know, the bunching, the tobaccos. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a great experience. And then, of course, you know, you learn a lot. Of, I'll give you one example. I'll give you one, one example also that happened back in at one of the RTDA shows. When the RTDA shows, I don't know if you remember those, uh, eight, but, you know, yeah, down in I, San Francisco in New York. No, San Francisco is before my time. Before your time, okay. So I go way back then, and, and I was. Wait, I was. I just want to clarify: Were these the RTDA shows where it was just a, a hotel room floor? No, at that time there okay. was some that had the whole. That was before my time. Okay. This where they they actually had the eight by ten booth. Okay. And I remember, and I remember. You know, I used to go there you know, with my, you know, table or whatever, and uh, I'd fly my, my cigars down to San Francisco, New York, wherever it was, and, you know, we would basically sit there and wait for somebody to come and buy from us. And at that time, the biggest booth were, like, uh, Via Zone. And, and when I'm saying the biggest booth, he had two couches <laughs> and the tables <laughs> and maybe a backdrop. <clears throat> and, um, but, you know, those were the shows at that time. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I remember I was one of those, and, and, and I started talking to, uh, you know, Carlos Fuentes, and I said, uh, you know, the old man, and I said, you know, Carlos, I'm, I'm, I have this cigar that I want to make, but, you know, I just can't get the blend, you know, it's, it's just something that's, you know, he says, well, what brand are you using? And I remember at that time, he's, I said to him, I'm using, I think it was a, what's it, a Cameroon binder and a Connecticut wrapper from the U.S., and, you know, the blend of tobaccos that we all use at that time were, were basically uh, Dominican and Matafina. So he says, uh, Ernesto, try it. Try that blend with a broadleaf binder. You get broadleaf, right? And I say, yeah. He said, try that blend with a broadleaf binder. And, you know, Carlos Fuente, he's very, he's a, well, he was, you know, a very reserved person. But, you know, with me, he was like, uh, you know, I have to say like a, like a second father. Uh. Because, I mean... Those, those guys helped me, him, and, you know, Carlitos, like a brother to me. I mean, you know, when I got started here, they helped me like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, I went back, and I tried to blend with the, uh, with the broadleaf wrapper, and, man, what a difference. And so that taught me, you know, that the, the wrapper and the binder have to work together. You know, whatever else you put inside, needless to say, is very important, but those two tobaccos have to really work together because if they clash – then you're never going to, you know, achieve any type of a, of a blend. And uh, so, you know, that type of thing, uh, you know, really uh, 
you know, really good advice that really helped me a lot. So. That's a great story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, Sal Fontana used to tell me about the first trade shows. And yeah. It was literally, he would tell you, they, that they would rent a floor out in some hotel. That's right. And Ashton would take a hotel room or whoever it That's was. That's right. <laughs> he's had a room and retailers would just walk from hotel room to hotel room on a floor. That's right. That's, that's right. how it was. I mean, I think that's insane because you look at what it, where it's at today, you can't even imagine, you know, where it's been the last you know decade. You can't imagine that that's how it's How it changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, listen, I, I remember the first show I went to, I take my price list, right? And, and I think at that time we were selling the Soberanos. I don't know. I want to say a dollar eighty-five, a dollar sixty-five, whatever. And uh, it's funny because, and I never forget because you know there, there used to be a distributor in California called the Glazer Brothers. I don't know if you remember that name. Oh. Yeah. So they come to me, and you know they were big, and they say to me, "Okay, Ernesto, you know we like the cigar, we want to buy it, but you know what's our price?" And I say, what do you mean? What's your price? Say, yeah, you have a price list here for a dollar sixty-five, which says retail. What's the wholesale price? And and I'm thinking, I said, well, you know, there's no wholesale price. This is a price I sell it at. He says, well, you know, if we buy it at that price, we have to sell. I think at that time they, it was twelve five and two. You know, you understand? We have to sell it more expensive. Right. And I said, well, yeah, if you have to sell it more expensive, you have to sell it more expensive. But you know, it was it was that experience where you know I, I didn't really look into you know how that whole situation worked. Right. So it took me it took me a while to kind of understand it. Needless to say, say you know if I want to sell wholesale, I have to sell a little bit more expensive. So you know this type of uh, of uh, experiences that uh, you know being at the first time at the show really you know opened my uh, my eyes to a lot of things. Now, you know, next stuff that even the you know most people don't see it, especially even on the consumer level. They don't realize that if you ever want to have the potential to wholesale a brand, you have to leave enough margin that you can provide margin for a wholesaler. So, exactly. and, and you know, they, they, you know, they don't sometimes it just doesn't work into the equation, or they don't see that coming. No, I, I think. Listen, Abe, you know, you've been in the business a long time, and me too. You know, uh, the changes that have gone on in the industry, and you know, since I started, you know, well, fifty years ago, I guess you could say. You know, this is a business now, you know, in those days, it was, you know, more of a, it was a business, but it didn't have the, 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 the how do you say, the, the importance that it has nowadays. You know, when you look at, you know, the resale stores, you know, look at your retail stores, you know, look at the, the shows that we're doing, you know, look at the IPCPR, you know, everything that's going on, the, uh, the factories nowadays. This is an industry, you know, and it's something that... Um, even the smokers now, you know, they really appreciate a good cigar and they're always looking for something because that's, that's the millennium, you know, that's the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the age we're living in now. So it keeps everybody on its toes to try to, you know, satisfy that demand. No, but I, at the end of the day, that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we do. You know, we satisfy a demand that's out there. Yeah, I agree. And, we, uh, service the consumer. Yeah. we service the consumer. You, you bring up the IPCPR, the PCA, and, you know, I don't mean to throw you under the bus. I just really, I, I, me personally, I'm curious of your opinion because, you know, I deal with a lot of manufacturers, a lot like you who have a legacy.
who's been in the industry 30, 40 years, and a lot of the new guys. And the new guys, a lot of times, have different takes when I talk to people who've been in the industry for decades. Um, what's your feeling on the PCA show, the future of the PCA show, um, this year and next year, if they don't have one this year, if they do, and how important is it for you to see if that show continues? How important do you think it is for our industry to make sure that that show continues? Well, you know, to me, uh, I think it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope it happens this year. You know, the way that I look at, 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 the, at these shows, okay, or let's say do an event, okay, at the, uh, let me see. I have a bet. I have a bet with Eric Guttermerson. That's going to happen or no? Yeah, I have a post-it on my computer so I don't forget. I have a bet with Eric Guttermerson that it's going to happen this year. I have a $5 He knows he's in trouble. He already knows he's in trouble with that bet. That's going to happen. The way that I I look at this, you know, at this show, okay, and and, and let's face it, it's grown so much. You know, it's, it's really become something spectacular. Uh, if you look at the booth, you know, everything that's going on out there, you know, for a person like myself, uh, you know, we're a small company, you know, that's our business model. We're a boutique company, you know, and that's, you know, how, you know, we manage and we do our business. But I think, you know, the PCA is, is very important to the industry. I don't look at that show as necessarily, you know, going there and selling, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't look at that show as, you know, it's a break, uh, a make or break for, for a company. I look at that show more as a relationship, building a relationship, you know, introducing new things to the industry. And I think that's really the importance of that show. You know, whether we go out and we sell, you know, a million, two million dollars or we sell 200,000 or whatever, at the end of the day is, you know, you want to be out there and you want to, you know, you know, get to know some of your customers because it's impossible to go out and meet every customer that you have, you know. Uh, so this is one of the, I think, one of the great uh, uh, importance of the show, you know, being able to go out there, meet you, you know, showing them new things. Uh, I remember when we first introduced La Historia in 2014, you know, People would come by and they look at the cigar. They look at, you know, even before they tried it, they loved, they ordered the cigar because of the packaging. Now, it's hard to do that, you know, going stores, you know, from store to store. And I think this is one of the one, you know, great things of the uh, of, of that particular show. Now, uh, I think, you know, you know, you know, look, I, you know, there's a few companies that maybe don't agree with me. That's fine. You know, that's their business model. But for me, I think it's... Uh, it's a very important, and I think the retailers, you know, really, I mean, have to support it, you know. I know sometimes they make it a little bit expensive, but, you know, when you look at the deals that you get there, you basically get it, uh, you know, it comes out to be a, a pretty uh, a pretty good uh, uh, reason to be there. You know, I, I've been saying it for years. Look, I don't think anything that's happened to the PCA to date is devastating to the point where it can't move forward. I just think that now is the pivotal year. They don't find a way to reinvent it and pivot and change. Just like they had to change from hotel rooms to... to, to the right. Company. They have to find a way to change. And 
the drive and the incentive to go to the PCA can't be about getting deals because that's never going to be a value no. because everybody gets the deals. They put them all out there. They don't deny yeah. deals if you don't go. And I mean, honestly, by the time, you know, especially if you make a vacation out of it, you take your wife, she buys a purse, a pair of shoes, you gamble, you know, whatever deals you save, I mean, you end up maybe spending going to Vegas. So they have yeah. to find a way to make it a value and importance, whether it be, you know, social, emotional, that people will want to flock there every year. And there's other components. Like I think the footprint has gotten too big, you know, no matter keep the, the, the floor of the trade show keeps growing exponentially yes. and the membership doesn't. So no matter how many people you get, it looks dead. And you know, there is, there is a visual yeah. value to something. When you walk on a show floor and you see this mammoth metropolis and you don't see no people, there's a psychology that just is inevitable and it occurs. So, you know, I, I think they need to trim the hedges like a good bonsai plant, cut it back, figure it out, remold it and shape it. And I hope the current people that are sitting on that board are innovative enough and committed enough to make those moves. Otherwise, I do think they're going to be in a pro they're going to have problems. Well, it's, it's, it's just like you said, you know, you evolve, you know, from the hotel rooms, you go to the booth and I remember I don't know if uh, you ever went to uh, an RTDA in Chicago. Remember at the Hyatt? Yep. I mean, that was another change, you know. There you started seeing a little bit more booth. You went to Nashville, then you started seeing, you know, more, you know, bigger booth. So this is the evolution, and I agree with you. It's gone, you know, so big that no matter how many people you have there, it's not going to look as full, you know. No, and psychologically, I think, I, I, yeah, I, you know, psychologically, you know, people look at that, and, you know, especially manufacturers, and they say, hey, you know what? It's not as empty. It's not as well attended. You know, but when you look at the end of the day, you know, the sales are there. Uh, it's something that you just have to keep working on constantly, you know. And I don't think, uh, you know, like I said, I hope they have it this year, whether it's July, October, whatever. But I think, you know, it, it, uh, it should happen. It should happen. I got, I got five dollars. How, how, how long has that been around now? You know, think about 80, it. Eighty some years. Yeah. Wow. Eighty some. It. I mean, you just get if you if you let something like that die, then that's uh, you know I think that's a question more of you know, and I hate to say this, you know, of management. You know, it is management. You, you know, well, I mean, you, know, you have to. Yeah, you can't. You know, you can't uh, say, you know, well, this is the way we do it. You know, it's worked for us in the past, but it's not. If it's not working, you have to change it. No, and it, it happens. It, you know, it it happens in everything. You know, it happens in everything. You know, no matter how good a business you have, if you don't manage it well, then it's going to start not giving you the returns you're looking for. The mistake people make is, especially when something's been around for eighty years, they think it's inevitable, like it's going to go no matter what. And that's always the epic mm -hmm. mistake. And if you don't believe me, go ask Kodak how they feel. Exactly. <laughs> you know, nothing's exactly. inevitable. Nothing has to go on forever. So, you know, I, I you hope know, they... there, there's there's a book I'm reading. I think it's called How the Mighty Fall. Yeah. And, and basically, you go through four or five stages where, you know, you, you start, you're struggling. Then you get ahead and you become a little bit more complacent. Then you're in the middle and then you say, you know, I got it made. And then then somebody's coming behind you eating your lunch, and then you, there's the other aspect where you start, you know, falling, and at that point you say, "I got to make a change," but it's too late, and then finally, 
you're down in the bottom. There's no way to come back. So I think, you know, with the PCA, I think they have to find a way to, to uh, you know, to make this work. Uh, you know, there's a lot of competition on, huh? you know, there's Dortmund, there's a TPE, you know, there's the TAA, See, that's there's, a, you know, a lot of things going on. But that's the thing, Ernesto. I really don't think that the TPE and Dortmund is really competition. I think, I think the TAA is an issue because I think they're, they're competing. And I think, uh, you know, one is detrimental a little bit to the other. And, you know, that's a whole philosophical question, but I think this is just, yeah, but, but hey, let, let, let me interrupt you there for a minute. You know, years back, you would have, uh, you know, international customers come to the uh, PCA. You would have a lot of international companies. That's how I let a lot of my people. That's how I met right. Ray from Switzerland. That's how I made the, the Kohlhausen's. You know, I met a lot of people. Uh, now, you know, they don't come because the dormant show has gone so big and, you right. know, and so, how do you say, well organized that, you know, they don't come. Now you say, okay, maybe there's 10 people, 20 people, whatever. But, you know, those people, at the end of the day, they can leave and, and buy, you know, anywhere from three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars from you, which they're not doing now because they're doing it in Germany. Right. Because as, we're going to Germany. As a manufacturer, that's definitely plausible. As a retailer, I'm never going to Dortmund unless I'm just going to go for vacation. No, no, I understand yeah. that. I understand. So as a retailer... As a retailer, my only viable show that I'm interested in going is, is the PCA. So, right. you know, and, and that's if it's worth it. I mean, that, that's the struggle that they're going to have. They have to figure out how to, to have it develop. But on that note, um, where we are going a little long, um, even though he's sitting as a host today, we cannot miss having the scoop with Coop. What's my theme music? The Scoop with Coop. Breaking industry news. Hear it first on KMA Talk Radio and cigar-coop.com. What's up, Coop? So, yeah, so I think we this was good timing because uh, one of the big stories that came out this week was that Drew Estate announced that they would be skipping uh, the TPE show this year. Um, the reasons for it was strictly in regards to the safety concerns for its staff. Drew Estate's been off the road for about a year right now. So their, their reps haven't been traveling. A lot of their support staff hasn't been traveling. And they're not ready yet to put them back on the road or commit to that in time for TPE. Uh, so that doesn't mean their staff isn't working. Their staff has been doing a lot of virtual events, and I mean, you can see them. They're, they're constantly engaged with customers. But as far as being in person and supporting the TPE this year, they just felt they couldn't make that commitment in time for the May 12th show. Um, so they, they do plan on being back next year. So it's not this is uh, strictly due to safety uh, protocols they want to follow for their staff right now. But still, they won't be there this year, and that's one of the big uh, boos that's at TPE this year. Interesting. Yeah. So I could tell you that TP is reaching out to retailers and the media. So the, the show is definitely they're going full steam ahead to have this show right now. Um, I don't see any way they don't have it this year. How it's going to be is going to be the big question. Well, I think if they're innovative, they'll figure out how to make it worthwhile. I mean, if we yeah. could figure out how to have, do a right. vendor event yeah. around the country, 
little old us, the TPE yeah. should figure out how to have a trade show that takes a while. <laughs> when, yeah. when is TPE again? May 12th. Sure. May 12th. Yeah. Uh, the clock's ticking. Yeah. I mean, I know from media standpoint, uh, the, the position I'm taking with the guys who go with me, uh, we have to all be vaccinated first before there's even a consideration. So that that's uh, after that, then we're going to look at a personal thing if people still feel it. I don't want anyone going who's not safe or not. But so that's kind of our position for both TPE and PCA. Are you are you in the process? Are you applied to get vaccinated? I, I have applied. Um, I'm not like North Carolina has been crazy how to get it. I'm a higher risk, but I'm not a high risk is the best way to put it. So uh, there's like four groups, and I'm in the third group right now. So Yeah, so I don't know when I'm getting it. I've been checking every day on it right now. Uh, but there's there's a lot more. I mean, there are people who do need it here. I, I would say a lot more to me right now that should be getting it. Uh, they have a lot of, you know, healthcare frontline people are, are really the people they're focusing on in, in North Carolina. I don't think they're doing a bad job here, but it's been a little slower than some of the other states. What else you got going on, Coop? Um, McAuliffe Cigars announced uh, they're doing a uh, cigar. Uh, it's a line extension to a line they have called the Medallia. Uh, it's a special edition cigar, a 5x40. Now, Medallia is a line. They work with a family, the Gomez Sanchez family in, in Nicaragua, to make their cigars. And Medallia is a woman who has been behind that brand. So they're coming out with this 5x40 Corona release. To coincide and honor women, because this is uh, International uh, Women's Month. So um, they're going to be launching that release this month. Medallia is one of their more popular lines, too. So they picked a popular line. Uh, it's the four size that's going to come in this line. I've enjoyed that line a lot from them. So I think it's uh, definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, they are, they're doing a big social media push on this, too. So they have a very big group out there of passionate smokers with this line. So it's, they're definitely gaining some momentum. Right. Anything else? Uh, Crown Heads announced their TAA cigar, uh, the 2021 release. This year it's coming out of Nicaragua, out of Tabacalero Pichardo. So that's going to uh, come sometime this spring right now. We're starting to see the TAA releases come out there right now. Um, that's going to feature a Mexican San Andreas uh, wrap blend over Brazilian Matafina in Nicaragua in a 6x52 box press. So, so here's uh, a perfect example of unwilling to pivot, the TAA cigars. Right, started out as an amazing concept, very successful. Then it just got totally out of hand. You know, TA cigars might as well just be any other line sitting on the shelf for half these brands. Um, one or two out of I don't know how, how many releases were there prior to COVID 14, 15? 14, yeah, yeah. I mean, 14 TA cigars. So now it becomes about how much greed or how much you know can we get and, and, and make money instead of trying to preserve the concept of even having a TA cigar. And it just seems like they're refusing to pivot. And I, I, I see that whole TAA stuff just becoming non-relevant. You'll have one or two big hits every now and then, and the rest will just exist. The, the interesting thing, Abe, there was a question posed in the Smoking Social Group this week about TAA cigars versus the Great Smoke Limited releases. And people looked how fast that the, the Great Smoke Limited releases sold. And you, if you kind of compare that to the TAA releases, yeah, there's a bigger there's there's a there's a bigger amount of production for, for the TAA releases, but it's not huge. Those those TGS cigars sold out in minutes, and a lot of times there's very, there's some very good TAA cigars that are released. I don't want to say that you know, Ernesto had a great one a couple years ago, but some of them are still very much available. And why are they still available, and the TGS ones sell out so quick? They're a kind of from things. the same old. Yeah. A couple things to that defense, right? 
we made a, there was a hundred to two hundred. Yeah, right. You know that's completely different than when you have to service. I don't know how many TA members but are now. Five hundred. A lot of the TA we just have five hundred boxes though. No, no, but I, 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 but how many members are there? About eighty something. Right. So it's five hundred amongst eighty something. It's a hundred boxes per store. But you know, there's no one marketing TAA. That's right. the problem. There's no. You know, we're very good at communicating with our audience because we're doing it for us. Yep. No one does it for the TAA cigars. They expect the local retailer to hype that up or talk about it, or they put that burden on guys like you, Coop, who've got to talk about it, and whether it's great or not. <laughs> um, you know, that's what happens. So, you know, it, it is perspective. I don't believe – I don't. I, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but I'm not, I don't know how accurate – only 500 TAA cigars is of a line or not because, you know, if you have – how many you say there was? 80 retailers? About 80-something, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that some of those TAA – listen, I know that Pete Johnson's TAA can't be 500 because I've ordered 400 myself. Well, there's some that are smaller is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, well, that, and that's one of the things, and that's kind of what we do in our yeah, micro. Yeah. We kind of see what legs the, the company that we have working with and, and – you know, obviously, some have a bigger reach and a bigger draw than others. Yep. You know, I mean, let's face it: if we had, if we were able to get one thousand of the the Carlito Opus X one, we could have sold them those in five minutes as well. So, you know, it, 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 it's just one of those things. But there, you, you got to remember: there's no one marketing the TA cigars, and you know, and also for TGS, this is the fifteenth year that that event happened. This was the first time that exclusive cigars were incorporated. So it was the first, you know, it's not like something like the TA where they know there's TA cigars coming out every year, every year. So I don't know if it's a fair comparison, but I think but, we were much better at marketing than they, than they are. I think so too. But you, but you know, Abe, let, let me, uh, let me make uh, let me just say something there because in general, in general, I believe that, you know, throughout the year, there's so many new cigars coming out that, you know, to a certain degree, you know, as a retailer, you have to choose and pick what you want to really, you know, bring on board. <clears throat> so I think that, you know, I agree with you, you know, when you have X amount of TA exclusive, you know, how many can you really take in as far as, you know, from the different companies? You can't take every, I don't think you can take every different company that's out there because it'd be too much. But if, I think also the fact that, that uh, you know, constantly, New lines are coming out, you know. It's, uh, for me personally, for me personally, you know, I, I think if you look at, at companies like, uh, you know, Padron, you look at companies like uh, Fuentes, you know, you look at companies like Ashton, you look at companies like, uh, um, you know, the Garcias, you know. You know, there's only so much you can put out, I think. There's only so much you can put out there that people are really going to get excited about. You know, that's well, my that's my thought on that. Padron's model seems to have been working well for them. They really don't. Yeah, yeah. They don't make. They don't a lot come of, out with no. They don't come out with stuff. They they stay in their lane and they just keep knocking it out of the park as best as they can, and it seems to work for them. I mean, and, and I'm talking mostly for companies, you know, my size, you know. To try to uh, you know emulate some of the other bigger companies that have the the means and the funds to come out with new stuff and promote it, 
because the thing the thing is to you know you come up with a new stuff if you don't promote it if you don't do events if you don't know it's just gonna basically cannibalize what you have there already yep so you know for us you know as a smaller company this is our model you know we focus down now to about six line uh before the fda 2016 we came out with you know more lines but we focus now because i think that's going forward that's what we want to concentrate on you know those five or six lines that we uh that we got that we have you know i agree look people we're talking about concentration people always kind of ask why don't we have a smoke in house brand you know because that's a model for a lot of retailers mm-hmm. but for me the effort to maintain a viability of a brand continuously all the time keep it relevant then you know people want to try something new now i gotta make a second house brand then i gotta make a third <laughs> house brand for me it's a lot more fun and exciting to do these little what we call micro blend projects where i get to work with all these amazing people in the industry create something as far as work with them pick a blend make a packaging market it and be done with it yeah and i don't have to worry about sustaining it and i can go on to the next project so it's always fresh and exciting for us, and I don't have that burden of how do I keep this line relevant forever, next year, the year after, and the year after. It's it's a hard model. It's a hard model. Yeah, I I don't think there's too many. Uh, yeah, and I may I may be wrong, but I don't think there's too many retail stores out there that have a house brand that's really, you know, uh, successful to a certain degree. They may do well in their stores. But uh, it, like you say, you know, you have so much going on day to day that to be concentrated on a husband is it's just something that I don't think any, uh, you know, most retailers don't have the time for. Chris, the Pope is coming back this spring. So stay tuned. There you go. Coop, what else you got going on? Anything else? Uh, just a couple of quick hits I'll have is there's two new line extensions coming to the Macanudo Inspirado white line in the form of a Corona and a Cigarillo. So folks should be on the lookout for that. And there's also a new uh, La Gloria Cubana limited edition coming out um, called Spirit of the Lady. Uh, it's going to feature a, uh, a Honduran uh, wrap blend um, in two sizes, a Toro and a Churchill. And you can start looking for those cigars uh, pretty soon. All right. What do you got going on this week that people can look forward to? Uh, we have. I'm going to be chronicling a lot more of my cross-country trip this week. Uh, you know, just kind of what it's like to go cross country and smoke some cigars. So there's some, some blog-like <coughs> features, and then um, is it gonna be a lot of pictures of you sitting in a hotel room alone? No, no, very, <laughs> no, no the hotel room pictures won't be there. I can tell you that. There's there's some pretty cool sites. I smoke some cigars. You'll see uh, this week, uh, which is pretty cool. So you check that. And we have we have two big guests on uh, Tuesday. We have Leanna Fuente. Uh, on uh, Primetime Special Edition on Tuesday night and Thursday night, we have uh, Terrence Riley on the Primetime Show. Very cool. All right, good stuff. And, yep. you know, before we hit Tail the Tape, which is coming up, because we need to see uh, the GOAT and Coop's picks are uh, this week. Uh, every week they're doing a top 10 boxes of all time. But I want to ask Ernesto a question, because I'm curious that way. So Coop just mentioned a, a story of a new release of La, La Gloria. Mm-hmm. When you hear that stuff, or do you watch that stuff? Do you still feel an emotional, mental attachment? Or is that just a part of your life that that book's closed and you feel detached? <clears throat> well, in, your mind, in your mind, is that another brand completely? Or do you still feel that's part of you and you watch it and, and you're moved or emotionally into it? 
Well, the brand itself, I mean, you know, needless to say, the brand itself, you know, uh, kind of set me up for, you know, where we are today. Yeah. Uh, and, and believe me, La Gloria Cubana, I, I, I was so, so attached to that because that was really, you know, my brand. Um, when my father started, we had the El Credito and we had El Rico Habano, which our biggest customer was Old Chicago Smoke Shop uh, up in Chicago, Hank Greenberg. So <clears throat> when I took over the company in 1980, at, before that, La Gloria, you know, we sell it, but it was really nothing that was, you know, uh, important for us to a certain degree. But it was in 1980, you know, that whole thing about finding the original packaging from, from Cuba, which I found at the uh, Miami Public Library. They were having a little uh, show there. And it just happens that the, uh, the, the they were exhibiting the different Cuban uh, labels and cigar bands. And when I saw that, I fell in love with it. You know, I said, man, this is the original band and the original thing. And it just happened that the guy that had that, uh, those, uh, I don't know what they call them in English, but anyway, the labels and the bands from all the different cigar companies in Cuba yeah. was about two blocks from me. So I remember I bought the label and I bought the band and I had it, you know, kind of reproduced at that time. We had it reproduced in Miami uh, with a, uh, as, as best we could. Let's put it that way, okay? And it wasn't until a couple of years later where, where uh, uh, some people from TSO in, in Holland, uh, which you know, make bands and labels and, and that type of thing for the cigar industry, came to me and you know they did, did, they did the, the whole thing to make it look more or less like the original Cuban uh, line. So, I mean, there was kind of a, a, a romance there with that brand since that period. Um, and like I said, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's giving us uh, a lot. And if it wasn't for that brand, you know, I think it would have been a lot harder for us to achieve what we have achieved today. So and if, uh, you know, you, when you, is the answer a yes? So when you hear news about it, do you still feel like it's part of you? Uh, no. No, I have to be frank with you. No, no because I didn't make the cigar. If I would have made the cigar, it would be a different thing. Different. Now, when we when we made when we made that Colección Reserva uh, a couple of years ago, that was you know that was part of me. So I was really, uh, you know, emotional not emotional, but I really this, took a lot of pride in that. What a yeah, great you're, cigar! You're what a great cigar! Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Just hypothetically speaking, if you had the wherewithal, right? Money wasn't an issue, and yeah. General was wanted to sell the brand. Would it be in your vision to reacquire the name? For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm very attached to that brand, you know? Um, like I said, because of all I went to to achieve, uh, you know, the packaging in itself, you know, the blend in itself. Uh, so, I, I, you know, if, 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 if there was a means, uh, I think that I would definitely, you know, find a way to... Uh, to get a hold of that brand again. Yeah, all right. Now, well, they're not going to sell it. That I can assure you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. That's why it was a very hypothetical question. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now it's that time. We need to give our uh, two co-hosts their uh, 90 seconds of fame. It's time for Tale of the Tape.
All right, Coop, don't forget to unmute. Continuing the countdown of our top 10 greatest boxers of all time. Coming in at number seven for me is Roberto Duran. Um, this is a guy that I don't think anybody would argue uh, deserves to be on the list, just a matter of where. I mean, he won five titles in four weight divisions. A lot of people don't realize he fought in five different decades. Roberto Duran's last fight was against Hector Camacho in 2001. Uh, you know, that's how long this guy fought. And, you know, he was the first man to beat a prime Sugar Ray Leonard. The guy has titles from lightweight all the way up to middleweight, which is an accomplishment in itself. So, Roberto Duran, number seven for me. Great pick, by the way. Great pick. I picked Willie Pep. Uh, he was a featherweight champion in the 40s. Um, and a lot of people say this is a little low. Right. Willie Pep was a fighting machine, actually. Uh, he fight. This guy would fight twice a month. I mean, you think of it as a champion. Um, they weren't all title defenses, but fighting twice a month. The champions say they fight twice a year, right? This guy was fighting twice a month. He made the greatest comeback in boxing history, in my opinion. He was in a plane crash in 1947 on January 5th. He was he had broken bones. He was in a body cast, and six months later. Um, he was back boxing, defending his title. He ultimately lost uh, three or four fights to a guy by the name of Sandy Sadler, um, which is what he's best known for. And those three out of four fights happened after the crash. And in my opinion, it dropped down a couple of notches. No, uh, there was a crash. That was a fast 90 seconds. All right, let's see where the heading's at. You got the uh, graphic there? Uh... I do, I do. If I can find it. <laughs> if I can find it. Ah, here it is. And there you have it. Yep. Roberto Duran coming in for the goat at number seven, and Willie Pep. Six more weeks, and then we'll see if we'll find more. Yeah, six more, and we'll find out who each of you all number one is. And now in traditional KMA closing, it's time to see who belongs in a cigar insane asylum. Welcome to the Cigar Asylum. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Where logic and reason cease to exist. All right, everyone, this week uh, we're going to see who belongs in a Cigar Insane Asylum. This week's inductee really did not want to go to work. Police received a call reporting an injured man next to a water tower in Coolidge City, Arizona. When they responded to the call, they found Brandon Sewells, 19, with his hands tied behind his back by a belt and a bandana stuffed in his mouth on the side of the road. He told the authorities he was abducted from near his home when he returned after running an errand that morning. He told officials he was abducted by two masked men, who hit him in the back of his head, knocked him unconscious. The abductors, according to Mr. Sewells, drove him around before leaving him near the water tower where he was found. He was said he was abducted because he had a huge amount of money left by his father, hidden somewhere in the desert. After investigating surveillance footage, text messages, and phone calls, the police eventually concluded there was no evidence to corroborate the story and that Sewell's had fabricated the entire thing as an excuse to get out of work that day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that you've never heard of just calling in with a sore throat? Yeah, Mr. Sewell, 
you without a doubt, my friend, are this week's inductee into the Cigar Insane Asylum. Great show <laughs> this week. I appreciate you all spending your Saturday morning once again with us. We hope we made it educational and entertaining as well. Ernesto, thank you as always. A pleasure and an honor to thank have you on. My man, Coop, thank you. thank you for filling in and uh, probably making the show even better this week. I appreciate it deeply. And let's uh, give a round of applause to the GOAT who handled all the animation and audio this week for the first time. Next thank you, week, thank you. Next week, we have none other than Cynthia Fuente Suarez. Should be an interesting show. Everybody have a great weekend. Until then, keep it lit. <laughs>